before we get into what I want to share this morning to talk about Christmas and talk about this great story, there's a great story going on in this church as well. And uh, many of you, if you were here last week, uh, you'll know that I announced last week that finally, after, I want, I want to call it the great fire, but it's not really the great fire, but after the fire that we had 15 months ago, finally, we have an insurance settlement, which is great news. And I'm going to say it again, really, just, just so that it's out on the podcast for those people that weren't here last week, because I'm not sure it was on the podcast last week. We have an insurance settlement. We can't give you the exact figure at the moment because uh, it's commercially sensitive, because we have also, uh, we are out to tender uh, for the refurbishment of this space here as well. So because of that, and because of the fact that we're still, uh, there are bits of the insurance puzzle that we're still trying to work out, but we have it in writing. It's a really good uh, settlement. It's the kind of, it's the figure that I'd written in my journal, which I was believing God for. So I'm really excited about that. That's almost the exact same figure that I was believing God for for the last few months, which is brilliant. And because of that part of the story, then in January, February, in the first week of February, the 7th, 8th and 9th, we'll be having vision gatherings. So it's a little earlier because at those vision gatherings, we want to share with you what will happen about the building and where we're at with that because we'll have had the documents back by that. We'll have been able to look at the financial complexity. We'll also be sharing with the new church name at the first week of February because that's in process. Hasn't quite got there yet, but it will be there by the first week of February just to build the excitement a little bit more. And also we'll be sharing with you about our first multi-site location which will be in Hagley that's all coming together as well so I hope you can get the get the idea that there is a story being written through this church as well okay there's a lot happening uh, it's been a little bit of a frustrating 15 months in many senses but God is at work amen and so we are really excited about all of that and so now we come to look at wonder and we come to look at this whole thought um, Christmas you know is so simple if you're a kid isn't it have you noticed, if you're a child, Christmas is really simple. It's just a time when you can get really excited, really enthusiastic, really expectant, and everybody else does everything, and you just take it, uh, and you just receive, really. And a um, little girl approached Santa, uh, and he asked the, the usual question, what would you like for Christmas? The child stared open mouth, horrified, you didn't get my email? So you see, for them, it's so simple, isn't it? It's just like, I want this, you give me this, whoever it is, whether it's Santa or whether it's mom, dad or whoever. But you know, if you're an adult, Christmas is a little bit more complicated than that. You see, one of the problems with Christmas is that time gets compressed over those few days, doesn't it? Anyone else other than me stood in a supermarket just before Christmas and wanted to scream? Is there only me that's ever done that? And one of the things that I want to scream is, what are we doing? Like, we, the shops are going to shut for one day. And yet, if you're in Asda or Sainsbury's or any supermarket in the week before Christmas, you'd think that Armageddon was about to come, wouldn't you? It's like everybody's stocking up tins of beans for the great bunker. Do you know what I mean? It's one day. It's one day. And what we're doing is one meal. And it seems crazy. And time gets compressed over the Christmas season. And one of the things that happens is that as time gets compressed, those two or three or four days over Christmas can feel like a lifetime, can't they? And so as well as all the excitement and all the celebration, if you're an adult, it will be mixed with other stuff. The complexity of broken relationships, the unmet expectations, the people that you wish were there who are no longer there. And there isn't anybody in this room, I don't think, for whom there isn't going to be a little bit of that this Christmas season. And I want to help us. I want to try and pastor us a little bit, if I can, through this season because it's so, so important. You know, this week, um, many of you know just over the last few months and weeks that we've been praying for a family here in the church 
for Vicky, uh, who many of you will know, she sings. Uh, she's part of Face Trust. Vicky Welsh, her older sister Nick, has been battling cancer over the last five years. And uh, right at the start of this last week, Nick uh, went to be with the Lord. Uh, she passed away this week. And I- I've known the family um, for 30 years. When I was a, a kid at home, my, um, we were in the Salvation Army. We went to the Salvation Army at Cradley Heath. And the Fletcher family moved into Kidderminster. And they used to go to the Salvation Army in Cradley Heath as well. But we used to finish our morning service at 12 o'clock. And we'd have to be back in church by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I used to go to seven services when I was growing up in church. I still love church. It's a miracle that I still love church. I went to seven services every single Sunday. But because there was a two-hour difference at lunchtime, the Fletcher family couldn't get to Cradley Heath back from Kitty. So they came to our house for lunch every week for a couple of years. So Vicky was four at that stage and Nikki was about nine or ten. And so we've known them a lot. And they came on a mission trip with me to Bulgaria in the 90s and really came to faith uh, and back to faith through that. And then I had the privilege of marrying Nick and Greg a few years ago as well. So I'll be involved in the funeral, which is on this Thursday. But, you know, the thing is that that when, when anybody passes away, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? But there's something about Christmas, isn't there? And there's something about, even if it's not close at Christmas, there's something about the Christmas season when we will all celebrate and we'll all look around the table at a chair and we think, where's so-and-so? Or I wish so-and-so was there. And, and we want to keep praying for Mark and Vicky and their family, but that's true of all of us. And I want to credit this material because I listened to a talk by a guy called Andy Stanley from North Point Church in Atlanta in America. And I want to take his framework and some of his ideas and add a few of my own because it's such a helpful thing, I think, for us to grapple with at the start of the Christmas season. And in that, he says this, the reality is Christmas is that Christmas highlights certain realities. There are problems we can't solve. There are people we can't control. Do you know that at Christmas? And there are expectations that we can't meet. Just have a look at that. There are problems that we can't solve. We're, we're, it highlighted at Christmas because time gets compressed and everything gets magnified. So it highlights the fact that there are problems we can't solve. They say that more marriages get into trouble in January because of the Christmas thing than any other time in the year. And there are people we can't control. We wish we could, but we can't. And there are expectations that we just can't seem to meet. No amount of presence, no amount of money that we spend can solve the problems that we can't, that we, that, that we can't solve or can control the people we can't control or can meet the expectations that we can't meet. It just doesn't work. And Christmas highlights that. And here's the thought. And sometimes you and I are all of those three things as well, aren't we? Because sometimes we are the problem that we can't solve and we are the person that we can't control and we have the expectation that we can't meet. But I want to suggest to you something which I think is really powerful today. I want to suggest that in spite of all this, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of what's happening, but because of what has already happened. And so as you gather around the Christmas season... And there'll be some fun and there'll be some celebration and there'll be some awe and wonder and there'll be some frustration and there'll be some pain and there'll be some heartache and there'll be some grief and there'll be a few problems and there'll be a few people you can't control and there'll be some expectations you can't meet. As you settle around that, I want to say to you, Christmas still is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of what is or isn't happening, but because of what has already happened. 
And you know, before we look at this and unpack it, I want to focus a little bit on wonder. As I've been preparing for this season and preparing to speak next week at the Christmas production, which is one of my favourite opportunities to speak in the whole year, because that's when we get the most opportunities to speak to people who don't know God. And I come alive with that. I'm so passionate about that. As I've been looking at wonder, I've been thinking about how much kids get wonder. Kids get awe and wonder. It's like they're born with an innate sense of awe and wonder. A belief that they can do anything. Their imagination knows no limits. There's a deep sense of being fully alive. You see, children are born with a voice inside them, which I want to suggest to you is the voice of God. And it's the voice of creativity. It's the voice of passion. It's the voice of being alive. And it is born within them. They don't get taught it. It's just natural because God put it there. And if you think, well, you're bound to say that, you're a pastor Listen to this. The Daily Telegraph recently published findings of some research. Listen to what it's, the research said. Dr. Justin Barrett, a senior researcher at the University of Oxford Centre for Anthropology and Mind, he claims this, and I quote, Young people have a predisposition to believe in a supreme being because they assume that everything in the world was created with a purpose. It's amazing. He goes on to say that young children have faith even when they've not been taught about it by family or at school. And this is what he argues. Even those raised alone on a desert island would come to believe in God. That's really interesting. You see, I believe that that is true because I believe that we're made in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. So with inside each and every young person, each and every child, there is the voice of God. There is the voice of creativity. There is the voice of wonder. There is the sense that there is purpose in the life, in the world. There is sense that there's more to the world than what we can see, eat, touch or feel. The problem is young people get older. And as you get older, life has a habit of shutting out that voice that you're born with. Many people say, oh, no, no, we haven't just got older. We've got more uh, realistic. We, 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 no, no, what you've done is you've got more cynical. Because that's what happens the older we get. Because life happens. And there are problems that we can't solve. And we discover that there are people we can't control. And we realise there are expectations that we can't meet. And so that voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And then we don't believe in God anymore. Because life has a habit of quietening the voice of the voice of God that is within us. And one of my favourite stories, I've told it him many, many times, of how this happens is the story of the man, the farmer who turns up at the field one day with his friend to notice that the cow that should have been in the field is outside the fence and nibbling the grass by the road and at danger because there's a hole in the fence. And, and the guy says to the farmer, how did that happen? How did the, the cow that was content within the field nibbling the grass, how did it end up outside and on the road and near the road and in danger? And the farmer said, well, obviously it's just nibbled its way to lostness. A beautiful expression. What it's done is it hasn't set out saying, I want to be outside. It's just nibbled its way, nibbled its way, nibbled its way. Oh, there's a hole. Out they go. And out it goes. And it's nibbled its way to lostness. And that's what happens to you and me. We are born with a sense of awe and wonder. But over life, we nibble our way out of that field into another one. And it's called lostness. And I think that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of what is happening, but because of what has already happened. And if we could rediscover some of the awe that God wants for us, it would change our lives. There's an Episcopal priest called Canon Robert Capon, and he said this, We are in a war between dullness and astonishment. 
One of my favorite books, which I'm rereading for, I think, the fourth or fifth time, is a book written by the late Mike Iaconelli. He was a great communicator who died in a car accident a few years ago. He wrote a book called Dangerous Wonder, which I'm rereading uh, as part of this season. And he writes in the book this, We have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. But he goes on to say, if Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested. What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. Our entire culture has become dull. Dullness is the absence of the light of our souls. Look around. We've lost the sparkle in our eyes, the passion in our marriages, the meaning in our work and the joy in our faith. That's why I love this book so much. And I need to reread stuff like this because it happens, doesn't it? Because life and culture and the world has a habit of putting out that light, that awe, that wonder that God has created us to have. So how do we get the wonder back? How do we get the wonder back this Christmas season? When you're in Sainsbury's and in Asda and you're wanting to scream or at least to die, you know, say, God, please take me home. Or when you're at Christmas time and the kids are doing your head in or, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the relatives have come and you're so glad. And your face is telling them you're so glad, but it doesn't really look like you are. And you're, and you're like, oh, you've been here an hour. Is it time to go? And all of this kind of stuff, which let's be honest, some of you have thought from time to time. How do we regain the sense of wonder when all of that is happening? Well, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of all that's happening, but because of what has already happened. And so we need to go back to the story. Because that's where the wonder lies. They say that familiarity breeds contempt. I think familiarity breeds indifference. And for many of us in this room and those of you listening on podcasts, you know, you will have heard the Christmas story loads and loads of times. But the familiarity with that story will breed indifference. You see, there is incredible power in story. There is incredible power in story. But you know, the familiarity of the, of the Christmas story makes us lose the sense of power. You know, I love nativity plays and I love the stories about nativity plays. And so a uh, nativity play, all is going well until the angel appeared and told the little girl playing Mary that she was going to have a baby. How can this be, said Mary, since I am a Viking? <laughs> yep, right letter, wrong word. But yeah, oh. but you know, there is incredible power in story. And our familiarity means that, 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 we do, that, that we put down the awe and the wonder. But let's, let's bring it back again. Robert McKee said, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world today. What a great quote. Storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world today. Reynolds Price said, the need to tell and hear stories is second only to nourishment, even before love and shelter. The sound of story is the dominant sound of our lives. And you have a story too. You know that, don't you? You have a story. The person next to you has a story. But here's the thing. The Christmas story reveals what God is really up to. God is all about stories. God is all about putting stories into the world and into our lives. Now, what makes a good story? I wonder if you know what makes a good story. Why don't you turn to the person next to you for a moment? Give me a little bit of a break. Uh, and just, just have this question. What makes, what are some of the things that you think make a good story? Just, just. Uh, talk to the person next to you just for a moment. What makes a good story? 
Okay, let me just jump back in. What, what makes a good story? Someone want to shout something out for us? Bit of audience participation. Happy ending, okay. Drama, said Charlie Hall. <laughs> and something else? What? Angels. What makes a good story? Just any old story. Suspense, handsome heroes, okay. That was the women that said that over there, okay. Anything else? Okay. <laughs> all right. I think I'll stop now, all right, before we, get, before we go downhill. Apparently, there are eight things that make a good story. And I want to go through these eight things. And then I want to show you why the Christmas story is the most wonderful story and why this is the most wonderful time of the year. See, what makes a great story is this beauty, number one. Vivid characters, great plots, tension, big questions, familiarity or surprises, connection to life and finally a powerful message. Apparently that's what research suggests makes a good story. When you look at the Christmas story, I want to suggest it has all of those, doesn't it? It has beauty. You know, this teenage girl that all of a sudden is pregnant and the beauty of the relationship between her and Joseph. In that world, Joseph should have just got rid of her straight away. It was an incredible deal for him. But the beauty of his love for her is absolutely breathtaking. The vivid characters, not only Mary and Joseph, but then you get wise men and you get Herod and you get shepherds. And, and, and being a shepherd in, in, in uh, Israel at this time, that's like the lowest job in all of society. So they're in the story and then Herod and the wise men are in the story. You get these really vivid characters, great plots and tension. You know, what's going to happen when Herod finds out that, that there's a baby being born and there's astrologers that are in his presence and all the tension around that? Big questions. You know, big questions about God and about life. Familiarity and surprises that God would choose to be born in that kind of background. That the creator would become the creation. Incredible tension, incredible connection to life. And then finally, a powerful message. You know, that God chose to announce the greatest message ever to the people who were the lowest in society. And right on the edges, he chose the shepherds to come to first. Those were on the edge. That's the last people you talk to, but God chose to talk to them first. And I look at that and I think, wow, God sent his son into our world. His story collides with our story to make history. That's why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, we'll talk about Easter in a moment. But actually, without Christmas, we have no story. But because Christmas tells us and shows us that God invaded planet Earth in himself, in his son, that's absolutely mind-blowing. That God enters the centre of humanity, providing for us the centre for our life so that whatever is happening to us or around us, we can know stability. No matter how dark life can get, folks, we can know light because of this incredible story. And when we come to look at the Christmas story, I want to go to the Gospel of John. If you've got a Bible, we're going to go to the Gospel of John. And I want to just spend a few minutes just opening something up for you. I, don't want, I want to open up just two verses for you this morning. And I think if you could get these two verses as, as a framework for the next few weeks, it could really change how you see this season. You know, John, um, John's gospel is very different from the other three. You know, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John. And Matthew, Mark and Luke, when they come to the Christmas story, it's all about the narrative. So they tell the story. But John, he wrote his gospel when he was a very old man. And so he probably, maybe he thought, I've told these stories for years, but now I need to get it down. 
I said at the first, so he needs to get it down in print, but I don't think it actually was print. But then I'll send an email or whatever. He needs to get it down on stone or papyrus or, you know, scroll, whatever they used. Uh, but actually, he might have thought to himself, time's running out for me. I've got to get this down. And actually, the other three boys, they did a great job at telling the story. So I don't need to do that. I'm just going to get straight to the significance. So John doesn't start with narrative. John starts with meaning. And the Gospel of John is incredible. You see, in John's life, he'd seen Caesar Augustus come and go. He'd seen Nero. He'd seen Paul come and go. He'd seen Peter come and go. He'd seen Jesus come and go and come back again and go again. He'd seen all of this in his life and yet he never lost the wonder. And as an old man, he's writing down the wonder of the Christmas story. He'd seen incredible darkness. Most of his friends had been killed for their faith. Talk about what it's like at Christmas when you look around the table and you think, oh, where's so-and-so, where's so-and-so? John was in a cave. There's nobody there. Nearly all of the important people in his life had been taken away because of his faith. Yet he never lost his wonder. Because Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of what's happening, but because of what has already happened. And so he launches into, not the narrative, but he launches into the meaning. And when he begin, and he's the one, let me just say this, he's the writer who reduces God to a word. That's amazing, isn't it? He says, God is, God is. How can I describe him in a word? God is love. <laughs> wow. God is love. In a word, God is love. He's all about the meaning. And so in John chapter 1, verse 4, he says, in him, that's Jesus, in him was life. And I can just imagine him pulling away and saying, wow, whatever's happening to me, whatever death is around me, in him is life. And life is the big theme word of the Gospel of John. That's why in John 10, verse 10, he says, you know, um, um, I have come that you might have life and life in all of its fullness. The thief, he comes to steal, kill and destroy. What does he come to steal, kill and destroy? Life. That's why, that's why the gospel, salvation, is not about being rescued from your sins so that you go to heaven when you die. That's only a part of it. Salvation is all about being rescued from a life of disconnection from God. Whenever you and I get disconnected from God, we need rescue. We need salvation. You know, and, and, for, and it's why Jesus said to the rich man, sell all you've got. Not because it's wrong to have rich stuff, because he didn't say that to Zacchaeus. He said it to the rich young man because he knew that his wealth was disconnecting him from the life of God. But to Pilate, it was his power. To the woman at the well, it was her dependency on relationships. Whatever it is that disconnects you from the life of God, you need rescue from. Because God is all about life. And when John writes, in him was life. He's not just thinking about life after death. He's thinking about life before death. You know, Nikki, who passed away this week, you know, she's, she's in heaven now. She's in fullness of life. All of that cancer which so ravaged her body and her face over the last five years or so, that's all gone. It's all gone. She's in full life now with heaven, in heaven. But she had life before death as well because she was in Christ and Christ was in her. In him was life. And then he goes on to say, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, this is incredibly important. Light was incredibly important to the Jewish mindset. You see, you see, light is the genesis or the creation of the world. The primary utterance of creation is let there be light. And when light comes, it's separation from darkness. In other words, fundamentally, light does not belong to this world, but it emanates or it's an emanation from a different essence. 
Now, that's a little bit deep. Darkness is this world. Light is divine. And when light comes into darkness, it separates darkness out because light is divine. Light is all about revelation. Light is all about truth. Light is all about life. In him was life. And that life was the light of the world. And interestingly enough, when he said all of the world, the light of all mankind. You see, for the Jew, the light that God gave was for them. Let there be light. Higgins light. That's why the menorah, the candle in the temple is so important. It's all about light. It's all about the divine revelation. But it was all about them. But John says, no, no, no. Jesus didn't come just to bring light for us. Jesus came to bring light for all mankind. For those who are far off. For those shepherds. For those rich people. For those poor people. For those black. For those white. For those male. For those female. For those single. For those divorced. For those married. All mankind. Life and light. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And John saw more darkness than you and I can imagine. I don't know about you, but hasn't 2016 so far been a crazy year? I mean, it started at the beginning of the year. And for many of us, if you're into your music or films, like every famous person that we know was dying in January and February. It was crazy. And then we got into Brexit and then we won't even talk about the Euro football thing because that's not that important. And then Donald Trump comes along and it's just been a crazy year, let alone all of the human tragedies that 2016 have had. And we look at the darkness of 2016. Listen, John saw more darkness than you and I can ever imagine. And yet he said, but the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so as he sits in a cave, writing this book, with all of his mates, dead and buried because of their faith in Christ, all of what's happened to them, he still got the awe and wonder, not because of what was happening, but because of what he knew had already happened. He got the news that Paul had been executed. He got the news that Peter had been executed. He got the news the temple had been destroyed. Years before, he got the news that Jesus was crucified. But then a few days later, he has breakfast on the beach with the risen Jesus. <laughs> and so when he has breakfast on the beach with the risen Jesus, he says, hey, now I get it. No matter what is happening in my life, there will always be life and there will always be light because of what has happened. This is the great story, isn't it? This is the great story. No darkness can ever put out the light of Christ and no heartache can ever extinguish the hope that Christ can give us. And so folks, I want to say in the next few weeks, there will be moments for you as there will be for me where I look around the table and say, so-and-so is not here. So-and-so is not there. And look at the people that I can't control and the problems that I can't solve and the expectations that I can't meet. But I tell you what, it is still the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of what's happening, but because of what has already happened. So for you this Christmas season, when you're faced with problems you can't solve, and you may be one of them. When you're faced with people you can't control, and that may be you. When you're faced with expectations that you can't meet and you'll have some of them, may you be reminded that Jesus is life and that Jesus is light. And the darkness will not overcome it. <laughs> it didn't then, it won't now, and it won't tomorrow. So whatever is happening in your life, it is the most wonderful time of the year because of what has already happened. And we need to anchor into that story. I want to ask the band if they could come back. In a moment, I want to pray for you folks. I want to pray for you together this morning that, that as we enter this season, with all of its challenges, 
my prayer for you is that you'll still be able to touch something of the awe and the wonder of this incredible story. Because God put his best idea into humanity, into history, through this incredible story, through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, an amazing theologian and leader in, the, in Germany in the 30s and the 40s and eventually was, was hung in a German prison by the SS because he stood up against Hitler and against Nazism. And one of the many brilliant things he wrote was this. He wrote this, We are no longer alone. God is with us. We are no longer homeless. A bit of the eternal home itself has moved into us. Therefore, we adults can rejoice deeply within our hearts under the Christmas tree, perhaps more than the children are able, because we know that God's goodness will once again draw near. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to pray for you this morning. And it may be this morning that there... (laughs) It may be, it will be, that for many of you, you're kind of excited about Christmas and yet you're fearing it. Many of you got no excitement, you're dreading it. You know, Nikki passed away this week and she would have been 40 on Christmas Eve. She's got two young kids, Jack and Hannah, seven and four. Terrible, awful thing. And, and, And you know, for all of us, you know, death like that is always, always awful, but it seems even worse at Christmas, doesn't it? But you know, whether you've lost someone in December, November, whether you've lost them this year or 40 years ago, Christmas will be hard. Christmas will be hard. And I want to pray for you this year that with those problems, that with those people, that with those expectations, that with that grief, that actually in the midst of all that, you would know something of the awe and wonder of God again. Because all that's happening is that. But what's already happened is that Jesus has come. And he's come to bring life. And he's come to bring light. So that no matter how dark it gets, darkness will never extinguish the light. No matter how sad we get, you know, the joy of God is always there if we can touch it. So I want to pray for you for a moment. So can we just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? I'm not going to expose you in any way. But if for you this Christmas time is going to be tough, and you know as you're coming into it that it's going to be tough, just open up your heart and open up your mind right now. Just Let me just pray for you and ask the Holy Spirit, maybe just to reignite a little bit of awe and wonder again in your life. Father, I want to pray for all these amazing people here this morning. God, all of us have got a story. And whether for some of us it's the loss of loved ones, whether for some of us it's the loss of a relationship, whether for some of us it's unmet expectations, whether for some of us it's just fear about the future, God, I pray that this Christmas time, would you come close? God, would you come close? In Him is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the darkness has not overcome it. So God, I pray for a sense of awe and wonder in our hearts and in our lives again this season. Because Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the service to come very quickly now, please. And we're going to serve you and we're going to take communion together. You see, the Christmas story is only part of the story, isn't it? Because we've got to fast forward 33 years to that moment when the Jesus that was the baby that grew up to be Jesus the man is now Jesus the crucified. But that's not the end of the story because that's darkness. You see, because the end of the story, if it had stopped there, there's no hope for you or for me. 
But actually the end of the story is that he didn't stay dead and dark and buried. He rose again. And because he rose again, not even the darkness of death can put out the light. So what I want you to do is take the bread, don't eat it, just hold it and hold the juice. And we're going to eat and drink together. And then we're going to sing an amazing hymn which tells this story and connects the story of Christmas to the story of Easter, the greatest story the world has ever known. So as the guys are serving, take the bread, hold on to it. It is gluten-free bread for all of us this morning and take hold of the juice. And then I'll come back and we'll eat and we'll drink together and then we'll celebrate this incredible story.